Good morning yet again, church. Uh, I've said it before and I will say it again. Uh, what an honor and blessing it is to be with you this morning. Uh, but full transparency, it still feels kind of weird. And that is not the right word, but it's the best one I can come up with this morning. Because uh, usually now I explain why I'm filling in. Uh, if you're a first-time visitor or just haven't heard the news, uh, we lost our senior minister, Jim White, a few weeks ago. So first of all, our prayers are still with Martha and Meredith and Travis and the whole family, and also for Southwest as a whole, as we try to move forward through this. Uh, but it's a little weird being up here for this reason. Uh, so full transparency of that, plus some other things, I'm just kind of tired. Uh, and I want to take a poll. Who else is tired? Anyone more than usual? That's what I thought. Uh, but here's the thing. I think each person has at least three levels of tired. I'm going to explain mine to you before we get into the meat of the sermon this morning. Uh, number one, level one for me is emotional interference of tired. Uh, when I'm on level one, it means anything will set me off to cry. I don't know why it is. See, I was in level one when I saw the 2020 Hobby Lobby Christmas commercial, and I <laughs> sobbed through it. And I still consider it the best piece of filmmaking I've ever seen in my entire life because I was in level one. Uh, level two for me is physical interference. Uh, when you do things that don't make sense, when you kind of forget why you're supposed to be doing things, uh, I know I'm here because multiple times I'll go to unlock a door, like to the house or to the church. I'll take out my car keys and hit the unlock button at the door. That's never worked. It's never going to work, but that's just level two of tired. Level three for me is what I call autopilot. Uh, this is where the lights are on, but nobody's home. Uh, I'm present, but I'm not here. Uh, I'm sensing it, but I'm not sentient. That kind of thing where it's just, you just kind of go through the motions and everything. So I'm kind of tired. Uh, and when I get tired, I think it's important for all of us, especially because many of us are tired. Uh, so just for this morning, we're going to kind of take a step back because it's the beginning of a brand new year. We've gone through a lot already as a church. And we're actually going to start at the very base level for the next couple of weeks. In, in, in a sense, part one of what we believe. Uh, see, I'll be preaching this Sunday and the next two, so we're doing a, a series called Part One. So this morning is Part One, Part One. Uh, so we're going to discuss this one simple base fact, one simple one, the, the, the very boiling down of our entire belief. It's, it's four words and one phrase. I want you to repeat it after me. There is a God. There is God. Let's say it again. There is a God. There is God. And one more time with as much passion and feeling as you have, there is a God. Amen. And I'm tempted to sit down at this point, because like, if that's the message that was preached, if that's the message that's heard, I'll just call it the best sermon I've ever preached and sit back down. Uh, that's it. And some of you are probably saying, yeah, do it, but I'm going to expand just a little bit. Give me a little bit. See, because this, this four-word phrase is so much more than just a fact or a statement or a belief. In fact, this is the very base level. This is part one of what we believe but as we step through scripture this morning, it's so much more than just statement or fact. It's actually a response to so many things that happen in life. It's a response to take that four little phrase, there is a God, which is the core belief of who we are as a people. But it's used in ways that are so much more intricate than we ever imagined. So if you want to follow along, we're going to start in 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17, you know the story very well, I'm sure. This is the story of David and Goliath. Again, it's, it's like the part one of the first Bible stories you learn as a kid. Uh, if you want to know, it's Dave and the Giant Pickle from Veggie Tales, if that's what it's more your more style. But here we have the story where the Israelites and the Philistines are at war. And Israelites on one side, Philistines on the other, and they're kind of meeting in this valley. And what they do is they send out their champions to fight on their behalf. So the Philistines have Goliath, and he is a quite literal giant. 
He was like, one and a half of Cole Francis, and that's terrifying enough. But he's coming here to, to fight Israel, and he's calling out their God. He's mocking their God. And it's a terrible thing. Because he's taking Israel, the, the holy chosen people, and making a mockery of them. And no one from Israel is stepping up because they're terrified. Because again, he's over nine feet tall. He's a, he's a giant. But then David steps up. And Goliath starts taunting David, saying, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And David says, I just think you need to be more level-headed. Wink, if you know what I mean. And that kind of is how that story takes off. But it's in this response of David that I think we find our first challenge for part one. In verse 45, is what it says. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will hand you over to me and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that what? Say it with me. There is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. He will give all of you into our hands. He says the whole world will know that because of today, there is a God. And he's presenting it as if it's new information. He says, this is part one for you. Because of what's about to happen, the whole world will know there is a God. How awesome. So then to apply that to our lives, to apply that to our part one, we respond with our victories point to the fact there is a God. Every win we have, but in, in fights that seem like they shouldn't be won, David and Goliath, most people would bet on Goliath but he said, because of what I'm about to do to you, because of God's help, there is a God in Israel. So in our victories, we respond by saying, there is a God. So no matter what you're fighting in your life right now, if it seems impossible to get there, if it seems too tough, if it seems too hard, it is your response to first say, part one, there is a God. And he is exactly who he says he is. And that's just a base level. Next door we can go to is in the book of Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2. In the story, we have King Nebuchadnezzar. And King Nebuchadnezzar is having dreams that are very troubling to him. And he usually has some responses from this. Uh, so he gathers his wise men, he gathers his astrologers, his diviners, his magicians, and says, I want you to tell me what this dream means because it's very troubling to me. And all these people, his wise men say, okay, tell us the dream, we'll tell you what it means. And Nebuchadnezzar is in, in a right mood because he says, not only will you tell me what it means, you're going to tell me what the dream was. You tell me what I dreamt and then tell me what it means and I'll believe you. Which is not very fair if we're going to be honest. And all these wise men say, there is no one on earth that can do this. No one can do this. What you're asking is impossible. But then Daniel comes in the picture. And Daniel prays to God and uh, he prays for this dream to be revealed to him because Nebuchadnezzar ordered all wise men to be put to death, which Daniel was. So Daniel talks to the king in Daniel chapter 2, starting in verse 22, 27. Daniel replied, No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he just asked about. But, what? There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you lay on your bed are these. And he goes on to tell him exactly what the dream means. 
And again, he, he goes to part one, presents it as new information, says, no, no one can do what you ask, but there is a God where all dreams belong to him. So again, our response to this, to our part one, is there is a God concerning the impossible. There is a God. Things that cannot be done by mankind, by humans. There are so many stories about God intervening that make impossible situations possible. I think about all the people that couldn't have kids and God stepped in and said, you think it's impossible? Watch. And we still have stories like that going on today. We have stories about people who should not win battles that they do like we heard with David and Goliath, but God steps in and says, you think it's impossible? Watch. So here we have this story where, where Daniel just says, there is a God, in case you didn't know. Even though the wise men said, no one on earth can do this. In fact, they said, oh, only the gods can do that, and they don't walk on earth. But Daniel says, they're right about one thing, there is a God. So your response is simple to the impossible. What do you say? There is a God. There's a God in Israel. There's a God in the, in the heavens that can do all these things. Let's go to the book of Psalm. Psalm 50, 11. So this isn't so much of a story as it is a mindset. See, here we have David writing about what's going on in their lives. He's writing about justice. Because at the time, so many things were going wrong. And he's writing about the injustices of the world that still happen to this day. This is what he says in Psalm 58. Do you rulers indeed speak justly? Do you judge uprightly among men? No. In your heart you devise injustice, and your hands mete out violence on the earth. Even from birth the wicked go astray. From the womb they are wayward and speak lies. Their venom is like the venom of a snake, like that of a cobra that has stopped its ears, that will not heard the tune of the charmer, however skilled the enchanter may be. And he goes on to tell God what to do with these people, and it's pretty amazing and pretty graphic. But it finishes here in verse 9. Before your pots can feel the heat of the thorns, whether they be green or dry, the wicked will be swept away. The righteous will be glad when they are avenged, when they bathe their feet in the blood of the wicked. Then men will say, surely the righteous still are rewarded. Surely what? There is a God who judges the earth. So David's writing to these incredible injustices happening everywhere and asking God to intervene. And he still reminds the people, no matter what happens on this earth, no matter what happens here, there is a God who will judge the earth. So, so many times in our lives we see injustice happening that we can't really understand or grasp how it could happen this way. And we say, where's the justice? In fact, that's a huge part of pain that Franklin talked about last week in that awesome sermon. There's so much about that. And we just say, where's the justice? Where's it happening? But David writes, there is a God who will judge the earth. So if it doesn't happen here, don't think it's not happening. That should remind us that there is a judge who will judge all, including us, when we go through injustice and when we are the ones who cause injustice. There is a God. So concerning that, our part one response, concerning justice, there is a God. Everything is covered so far with justice and the impossible. Our victories, our losses, all that stuff points back to the very base belief that we believe there's a God. But if we use this to respond instead of just having it as a statement or a fact, it actually becomes applicable to our entire lives as a whole. Not just a belief, but a lifestyle. There is a God. Then finally, we go to the scripture this morning. Book of Acts chapter 17. And I personally love the story. This is where Paul is walking around in Athens. 
he's walking around and he's seeing all these idols set up to all these different gods because it was a very religious city. In fact, he comes across one that's very fascinating. And because he sees these idols, he starts talking about God and talking about Christ and, and what's happening with all that and how it's happening and how it's so true. <laughs> they, get, they get very intrigued by that. But this is what he says in response to that. In verse 22, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Arepagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. That is the most human thing we could possibly do. We like to cover our bases. So they set up idols to all the gods that they knew, but just in case they missed one, they gave that thing one. Said to an unknown God, we don't want to make you upset. See, you're, you're, we worship you too. But then Paul steps up and says, let me tell you about this when you don't know. Because I know this God that you're worshiping is unknown. Let me tell you about him for a second. In theory, just saying what? There is a God. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. He does not live in temples built by hands. He's not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we're his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. When they heard this about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on the subject. At that, Paul left the council. A few men became followers of Paul and believed. Among these was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. Because of his response, there is a God. This, this God you know is unknown, let me fill you in. The one God there is. Because he talked about that, and he had this response, not just as the statement or the fact, but the lifestyle they listened. Some still sneered because that's always going to be humankind, but some believed just based on that part one, part one belief. There is a God. Let me tell you about him for a second. And so for our response in that story, that even though we mess up all the time, and even though we have ideas about God that still really aren't the full story, there is a God despite us. Despite our shortcomings, despite our mindset, despite our failures, there is still a God that doesn't work on earth as if he needs anything from us. He doesn't need to be set up anywhere because he is everywhere. There is a God who in fact put people in places where he knew they needed to be because he gives us life and our entire being. Everything we have is because there is a God. So I wonder where he put you. I wonder if this is still remaining true because I'm sure that it is. For God puts you in places where he knows you'll be if we'll just reach out in hopes that one of us just reaches out to find him though he's not far from any one of us. There is a God. And it seems so simple because it's the base level, but when we start applying it, it's a whole more, 
a whole lot more difficult to understand. The last thing we'll talk about this morning before I finish up, there's one name that I love concerning God. In fact, when, when Moses in the book of Exodus is talking to God saying, who should I say sent me that I can have credit that they'll believe me? And God says, tell them I am who I am has sent you. And that's the name we call God is I am. To me, that is such an awesome description of God because he is. That's all there is to say. He always was. He always is and always will be. The, the very idea of existing is just God who says, I am. And next week in part one, part two, which is not part of the series, we're going to talk about Jesus. Again, another, another base level of what we believe, but when Jesus says those words too, when he, when he says the words, I am, that's when the Pharisees pick up stones to kill him because he's equating himself with God. Because that phrase, I am, is so sacred. When God says, I am, it simply means I will always be. The very essence of being is who I am. Always, unchanging, I am. So our response to that concerning this part one, part one, is any time any of these situations come up, when things seem impossible, when things seem unjust, when things seem that we have no possible way of getting through it, despite our problems, any time those come up, all we have to say is, he is. God says, I am. We say, yes, he is. No matter what you respond to, let it be more than a statement or a fact or a belief that there is a God. Let it be your lifestyle. So when the world says to you, you're not the kind of people who can do this. You're not the kind of person who can have this life. You're not the kind of person who can get through this tragedy. You're not the kind of church that can do this. And you say, no, he is. He is. And there is a God. So if you're having a hard time finding that and having that faith as a, as a lifestyle choice, not just the statement, which is the bare minimum of just saying there's a God. Because even demons believe that as we read in Scripture. Even demons thought there's one God, and he says, good. But they believe that and they shudder at the fact. So how much more should we do knowing there is a God that brought you here this morning, that will get you through the impossible, that can help solve all the world's issues if we just turn to him and say, he is. Imagine what this church could be if every one of us came with that mindset of he is. So it's not just a Sunday morning where we gather to rejoice in that name, it's every day of the week. Where we say to the world, he is. Because God says, I am. That's all we need to know. Uh, so if you're having a hard time with that, uh, we're going to have an invitation song where the elders will be around the room. We can go talk to them and pray with them. If you need help coming forward to any prayer requests you have, if you want to give your life this morning to say, he is, there is a God and I buy in completely. That changes for you this morning. No matter what level of tired you're on, because for me, I'm in level one, if you haven't noticed. But for any of us who are at any level, God is still remaining steady for you. Yes, he is. So one more time, let's say it together. There is a God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Uh, God, we thank you for being, God, the great I am that you are. So we can just say he is to the world. May we never forget that there is a God and it's you, the one God that there ever will be and ever needs to be. Uh, God, you've already done so much for us that we couldn't even see or imagine or fathom. Uh, God, I just pray that this morning we glorify you just by saying you are who you say you are. 
Father, thank you for giving us a part one, an easy level to enter the chat room. Uh, God, by just saying we can talk to you anytime we want. Father, to say that you are the base level. You are great. You are good. You are perfect. And you are. Father, thank you for loving us and caring for us and sending your son to die for us so we can all proclaim that there is a God in heaven who cares for us. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.